Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Sokah and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. If you're wondering how much six cubits and a span height is, Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers would be glad to trade LeBron James equally for Goliath. He was that tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why don't you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, the third Shemah. David was the youngest The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are doing and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, The Philistine champion from Gath stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Now skip to verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight him. And Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. 
When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. Susan Boyle had just turned 47 when on April the 11th, 2009, she appeared on the television program, Britain's Got Talent. She stood on the stage, a very plain-looking person, not very impressive to look at, not very impressive to talk to or to listen to, and she stood before a packed audience that included three judges and the, neither the audience nor the judges gave her a rat's chance of having any success on Britain's Got Cat Talent. They all underestimated her. She sang a song from the hit musical Les Miserables, I Dreamed a Dream. And before she had gotten into the last, of the, the last line of the first line of the song, the, the audience had gone from sneers to cheers, And this woman, who had all the odds stacked against her in a single line, had managed to capture the hearts and minds of everybody in the audience, including the judges, including someone so hard to catch as old Simon Sorry Cow. Did you know that was on April the 9th, 2011? Within nine days, the video that you just saw had been witnessed, had been viewed by over a hundred million people around the globe. It had been watched a hundred million times within nine days. 
That was April of 2009. By November, she had recorded and published her first album. It went straight up to the number one in the United Kingdom, and it outpaced every other debut album in the history of music in the United Kingdom, including that four-boy band out of Liverpool, England. Hello? She proved everybody wrong. And, and of course, the great lesson that we immediately learn from her is you can't judge a book by its cover. But the other thing you can learn is that when we face the giants in our lives, and certainly she faced a whole audience full of giants, whether we succeed against those giants is dependent upon our perspective concerning those giants. About 3,000 years ago, there was another uh, situation. It wasn't Britain's Got Talent. It wasn't uh, behind television cameras. It wasn't on a stage with a theater audience. But it was a national stage, and the entire nation of Israel had their eyes glued on this situation. The Philistines were on one side of the hill. The Israelites were on the other. And the Philistines had this giant of a man... Somewhere between eight and nine feet tall, he stood, and, and his armor was so heavy that he had to have an, a, an armor bearer even to carry it out in front of him. The man was uh, intimidating just to stand in front of, and for 40 straight days he came out and defied the Israelite army, and King Saul and all of his army were dismayed and terrified. But there was a young boy whose main occupation was tending his father's sheep. And his dad sent him to the battle line to take care of, to, to see how his three older brothers were doing on the battle line. Jesse said to David, I want you to go to the battle line, see how they're doing. I'm sending some groceries with you, and I want you to bring me back word about how they're doing. David goes, and he takes the, the bags of groceries, and he leaves them with the food supply chairman. And he goes out to the battle line, asks his brothers how they're doing. And while they're answering him, Goliath, the giant from Gath, does his normal defiance dance in front of the nation of Israel, the army of Israel. And David said, who is this guy? Who is this guy who dares defy the armies of the living God? You see, here's the setting of this whole thing. Two things that are very important. First of all, Israel's most troublesome enemy at this time was the Philistines. They were the terrorists of their day. They loved killing people for sport. Some of the most famous people they killed in Israel were, were Samson, the great Arnold Schwarzenegger of the Old Testament, you know, the great judge, the last of the great judges in the book of Judges. The Philistines killed him. The Philistines killed a, a priest named Eli, whose two sons, uh, Phinehas and Hophni, were as corrupt as they come. The Philistines killed King Saul, and they killed King Saul's heir and, and David's best friend, Jonathan. So the, the, the Philistines were terrorists. Everybody hated them, but everybody feared them. But if you look at this uh, battle scene, there are two different perspectives with regard to this giant Goliath. There's the perspective, first of all, of Saul and his soldiers. They saw Goliath as an insurmountable giant. They saw him as an obstacle that they could not overcome and that they had no hope in ever overcoming. Perhaps you 
are here today and there is some giant in your life. Maybe nobody else knows about it. Maybe everybody else knows about it. It doesn't really matter who knows about it, but it's a giant in your life. And as you look at that giant, it seems that that giant is hopelessly insurmountable. You cannot overcome it. You've tried, but have not been able to defeat it. And you may look at it in the same way that Saul and his soldiers looked at Goliath as an insurmountable giant. You see, when we look at our giants, there are normally two mistakes that we make. The first mistake that we tend to make is to believe that the giant we are facing is bigger and more insurmountable than that giant really is. You're driving down the road. You know, you know the sign, the little uh, sign that's in your, your uh, passenger side rearview mirror? Objects in this mirror are closer than they appear, right? Well, they had a modified version of that, Saul and his army did, and that was this. The giants that we see are in our minds bigger than they really are. We tend to look at the giants in our lives as far larger and far more intimidating than those giants really are. The second mistake we make is to believe that we're the only person facing the giants or the giant we're facing is a giant that nobody else is facing. Or if we concede that other people are facing giants, we're of the belief that our giant must be bigger than anybody else's giant. And the fact of the matter is we get this through the world revolves around me mentality when in reality the giants that we face are not nearly as big as we make them out to be. There is the perspective of Saul and his soldiers. Secondly, there's the perspective of David. You see, David was the only one there. He was probably the smallest of all the people there, a young lad. And yet, as he looked at Goliath, he did not see Goliath as insurmountable. He did not look at Goliath and, and, and have hopeless show up in his brain. But rather, he looked at Goliath, and he didn't see Goliath as an insurmountable giant. He saw Goliath as little more than a pawn in the hands of a giant god. It's an underdog story. We love them, don't we? We love the underdog stories. I was thinking a lot uh, here recently. You know, let's, let's imagine that all of us here are, uh, let's see, what can I say? Oh, I know, dust mites. You didn't expect that, did you? I want you to think of yourself as a dust mite. And you're a dust mite and you go running around outside your house and you run upon a, an ant hill. You know, to a dust mite, an ant is a giant. Hello? Every dust mite looks at an ant and says, holy cow, that's a giant. An insurmountable giant. But you know, to us human beings, we go outside and we look down at, at an ant hill, And while they may be annoying, I've never heard anybody call an ant, an, an ant giant. A giant. I've never heard anybody call an ant giant. We look at them and they're little bitty ants. To a dust mite, they're giants. To us, they're little bitty ants. David did not look at the giant Goliath through the eyes of earth. He looked at the, the giant Goliath from the perspective of heaven. You and I look at our giants and they look like an ant looks to the, from, through the eyes of a, of a dust mite. But God looks at our giants, and he sees them as little more than ants from the standpoint of heaven. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Revelation. It was written sometime around the year 96. 
The people who lived at that time who were Christians were uh, being tortured, persecuted by the Roman Empire. Some of them killed, some of them excluded, some of them exiled. John the writer was exiled. And from their vantage point, these people to whom John was writing the Revelation, they saw their their, uh, circumstances as hopeless. The giant was the Roman Empire and nothing, nothing appeared on the horizon to help their situation. And so in Revelation chapter 4, John, who was on earth, is lifted up to heaven in a vision. And in that vision, he saw God on his throne, and God had a book in his right hand. Now, I want you to get that. The book, by the way, was their future. It was the future of the folks who were reading the Revelation. So I want you to get this. When John got up there, number one, God was on the throne, not the Roman Empire, and God held their future in his hands, not the Roman Empire. Whatever your giant is, it has never and will never and is not now on the throne. It does not control. God controls. And your giant does not hold your future in its hands. God holds your future in his hands, and no giant, no giant, has the power, nor is any giant big enough to to rip that book of your future out of God's hands. You're looking at your giants. I'm asking you how you view them. Do you view them as insurmountable? I don't know what your giant is. Maybe it's a family problem. Maybe it has something to do with finances or your job or your children. Maybe it's a substance abuse giant. Maybe it is a a health crisis giant. Maybe it's the uh, some sort of midlife or transitional giant in your life. I don't know what it is. You know, I think what your giant is, just like I know what mine my giants are. My question for you is, how do you look at those giants? So I want you to do something right here at the moment. I want you to picture in your mind just one of your giants. Just picture it. You don't have to say it out loud, but just picture it. What's a giant you're facing? Do you see it? List it. Now, here's my question to you. You see how big it is to you? Now, if you can, look at that same giant through the eyes of heaven, through the eyes of God. And you know what you're going to find if you're able to get into the eyes of God and see your giant? You're going to see that it's not so giant after all. It's very, very small. Hear this. There has never been a giant God couldn't handle. There has never been a giant God hasn't handled. Now, he may not always handle the giants the way we want him to or the way we expect him to or in the timetable that we'd like for him to handle them. But listen to this. There has never been a giant God hasn't handled, and your giant is no exception. The battle is the Lord's. It always has been. It always will be. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, 
We're grateful to you, Lord. (laughs) We're grateful to you, our Heavenly Father, on this Father's Day. For a lot of things in particular that as you look down upon our lives and you see the things, the problems, the trials, the obstacles we face in life, and you see that we see them as sometimes hopelessly insurmountable. God, help us just this once to be able to see those same giants, not through our eyes, the eyes of a dust mite, but help us to see them through your eyes and through your eyes to see that the giants, no matter what their size, are no match for our giant God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.